Many times we need to keep our health in check, but don't know what questions to ask or where to begin. We walk in blindly to our health care provider and walk out none the wiser and maybe even more confused than before. Can you take charge of your health and arm yourself with the questions and preparedness you need? The answer is yes. Welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. This program will answer your questions and give you the best practices for facing your medical partner in good health. Now, here's Dr. Susan Downs. Welcome to Occupy Health. This is Dr. Susan. We've talked a lot about toxins and what we can do to be proactive for health. And there seems to be toxins everywhere. And our population's getting increasingly sick over time. And our health costs are going up. So one of our emphasis here in this program is how we can be proactive in our health. And what we, can we do to stay healthy in these days where there's increasing toxicity and stress and all sorts of challenges. So with us today, we have uh, Dr. Dominique D'Agostino, who is quite well known, famous in doing research on the ketogenic diet and the various applications of it. So we will learn more about that today. A little background, Dr. Dominic D'Agostino is a tenured associate professor in the Department of Molecular Pharmacology and Physiology at the University of South Florida Morsani College of Medicine. He's also a research scientist at the Institute for Human and, you know, Medicine and Cognition. His laboratory develops and tests nutritional strategies and metabolic-based supplements for neurological disorders, seizures, cancer, and metabolic wellness. He was actually a crew member on NASA's Extreme Environment Mission Operations 2-2, uh, known as NEMO-22, and he's got a personal interest in environmental medicine and methods to enhance safety and physiological resilience in extreme environments. And I do think nowadays we can call our environment extreme to all the toxins, the EMF, the glyphosate, everything, they put in everything, and so we do have environmental challenges. His research is supported by the Office of Naval Research and the Department of Defense, private organizations and foundations. He's particularly interested in nutritional ketosis, ketone supplementation, and how this impacts a larger number of pathological conditions, ranging from neurological conditions such as Lou Gehrig's disease to epilepsy. Other areas of his research include researching drugs that are cancer-specific and metabolically, and is, uh, etc. So welcome to the show, Dr. Agostino. Thank you for having me, Susan. I appreciate it. So we want to let the audience know about ketosis and its benefits. We've had some speakers speak about it before, like Dr. Amy Berger and others as well. So tell us, what is ketosis? Yeah, uh, ketosis is really, nutritional ketosis is defined by an elevation of blood ketone levels. So it's a diet that it's nice that you have an objective biomarker that you can define this metabolic state. And, uh, and to achieve this metabolic state with a diet, you really have to eat a specific macronutrient ratio that's relatively high in fat to what we're accustomed, you know, to, to being uh, relative to the, the ADA guidelines and, and, you know, the dietetic guidelines. Uh, it's moderate in protein. It's not a high-protein diet. People think it's high-protein, but it's not. And it is restricted in carbohydrates, especially uh, starch and sugar, very restricted in sugar. And following this diet uh, creates a metabolic physiology that mimics, in many ways, the, the fasted state. 
So fasted ketosis occurs with prolonged fasting or starvation. Uh, the ketogenic diet mimics that by suppressing the hormone insulin and, and also elevating these ketone bodies. And when they get to a level of about 0.5 millimolar in the blood, which we can measure with a commercially available device, that is clinically known as a state of ketosis. And to be, it's very distinct from diabetic ketoacidosis, which occurs specifically uh, when there's an insufficient insulin as it pertains to type 1 diabetes. So that, that's a pathological state specific to type 1 diabetes. Nutritional ketosis is a therapeutic state that can be uh, initiated and sustained for a broad array of uh, therapeutic uh, applications. Some of them are proven and some of them are emerging uh, as, as the science advances. So what I hear you saying is that this ketosis or ketogenic diet gets us to a, a situation that mimics fasting and a lot of research has shown yeah. fasting to be very good for the health. It generates a certain one pathways and various pathways that have been shown in various animals and, uh, you know, that it prolongs life. But so this is, doesn't sound like it should be confused with the Atkins diet because the Atkins diet was high protein and protein, if yeah. you eat too much of it, just leads to uh, sugar and an increase in insulin. So tell us how it differs from the Atkins diet. Yeah, so the Atkins diet uh, is a diet that evolved. It is. It can be ketogenic in some people, especially if it's calorie restricted. But typically, it's not. It's a, it's based on very loose guidelines, uh, with also loose guidelines on the types uh, of food that you eat. Uh, and I think it got you know it ge- it gives the ketogenic diet a bad rap because it's kind of a, a loosely followed version of the the ketogenic diet that doesn't really have a clearly defined uh, kind of uh, guidelines for you to follow. And uh, there are versions of the ketogenic diet similar to the Atkins diet, and it was developed by uh, Dr. Eric Kossoff at uh, Johns Hopkins. And the modified ketogenic diet, uh, it's also called the modified Atkins diet, is actually used in adult epilepsy patients. And the difference between the classical traditional ketogenic diet used for pediatric epilepsy and the modified ketogenic diet is that the traditional ketogenic diet is very low in protein, actually. It's about 8 to 12% protein, which is really low. And, and in some kids, it actually stunted their growth when they were down at the 8% protein level. So now we know to adjust the protein up a little bit more, too much protein can kick you out of ketosis. But they found that with a modified ketogenic diet, they could elevate the the protein level to about 20%, and that uh, allows adult patients, uh, it allows for better compliance to the diet because it's easier to formulate the diet that way. And it also is able to achieve a state of nutritional ketosis with up to 20% protein, uh, which is actually still lower in protein than the standard American diet and much lower than the Western diet, which could be you know 20 or 30 or 40% protein. So uh, especially when you use oils like coconut oil or medium-chain triglyceride oil, which are ketogenic fats, it also helps elevate ketone levels. So these, this diet is actually clinically implemented uh, as part of a, a neurological sort of therapy for epilepsy and other neurological diseases. So the modified Atkins diet is, or what I call the modified ketogenic diet. 
I just never had a good feeling about the Atkins diet. It was very hard to stick to, and I just have a feeling long-term it was not going to be healthy. But one thing, what I understand is one of the problems here is if you have too much protein, it actually can kind of convert into a sugar and raise your insulin levels, whereas we're trying to keep the insulin levels low. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's exactly correct. Uh, Their protein can be uh, insulinogenic. So, and you, when you eat protein, you are eating a combination of amino acids. Some of them are ketogenic amino acids, but you are also getting a lot of gluconeogenic amino acids. And when they're consumed, uh, the, these amino acids sort of energize the liver in a way that causes the liver to pump out more glucose through the pot process of, of gluconeogenesis. And it also releases a small amount of insulin from the pancreas and insulin can decrease fat oxidation in your body and also in the liver. And it's really the, the, fat oxi- the elevated fat oxidation or fat burning effect uh, in the liver is what creates ketones. So you metabolize fats so fast, you are creating an excess of acetyl-CoA, essentially, and two acetyl-CoA molecules can create acetoacetate, which can make acetoacetate and beta-hydroxybutyrate. So these are the ketone molecules that the liver produces, and the liver is interesting because it lacks an enzyme, succinyl-CoA transferase, that prevents the liver from using the ketones, so they are spared and they go into the bloodstream. And your brain uh, is, a, is a very advent, it's a very uh, uh, big consumer of ketones and, and glucose, obviously, but in the absence of, of glucose, it has that metabolic flexibility and can switch over to using ketones for fuel. And it has a lot of uh, neurocognitive benefits and anti-seizure effects. Okay, so what I heard you say is that some of the amino acids are ketogenic, generating these ketones, which, as you just said, are a very favorable fuel for the brain, but also some of the amino acids, which we find in you know, meat, uh, would uh, be, as you say, glucogenic, which means it will lead to increasing glucose, which leads to increasing insulin, and I think one of the primary uh, goals underneath all this is to you know keep our insulin levels from going way up, because... Uh, you know, that has been associated with oxidative stress, inflammation, and lots of uh, diseases. So, um, That's right. Okay. So, okay. So how does one get into ketosis? What is the ketogenic diet? So uh, the ketogenic diet, there's different ways to initiate the ketogenic diet clinically from the standpoint of maybe using it from a, a clinical standpoint, the induction phase is associated with uh, 24 hours of fasting, uh, classically. They, they, know, they realize that you don't have to do that anymore. It may be a faster way to get into ketosis. Uh, in, the, in the past, they thought it was a very severe, almost a draconian way to, to get someone into ketosis. But now we know that fasting can be good for us, you know, periodic, especially in the short range, you know, maybe 18 to 24 hours. Uh, you can do that. You can initiate a faster ketosis by just doing intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating, or you can simply adhere to eating meals that have a macronutrient ratio, meaning the, the fats, the protein, the carbohydrates, that are relatively in the 70 uh, to 80% uh, fat range, uh, roughly 10 to 20% protein with generally, you know, 10% or less of carbohydrates in the form of fibrous vegetables with a, a 
a very restrictive amount of starch and very restrictive amount of sugar. Uh, and the sugar can come from things like, uh, like for example, I, I have wild blueberries every night. So there's a little bit of sugar in that, but it's minimal. It's about maybe five to 10 grams and, and a quarter or a third of a cup that I have. Uh, but mostly salads, like one or two salads, some uh, green vegetables, uh, asparagus, leafy vegetables, uh, cauliflower, cauliflower mashed potatoes, if you want to call it that. Uh, these are some of the things. Avocado, you know, is part of it. Nuts and nut butters are, are things that... Uh, that represent foods that have some carbohydrate content, but they're pretty minimal and they have a very high fiber content and the fiber really attenuates uh, the, the elevation of glucose. Uh, and it also helps delay gastric absorption that, you know, not only delays, uh, reduces the glucose, the glycemic response, but it prevents uh, a release of insulin. The fiber really helps with that. So we want to get protein from quality sources and quality fats. Uh, fatty sources of protein are ideal. And, uh, and also adding additional fat to the meal itself helps to make it more ketogenic. Okay, so we have to keep the carbohydrates, as you said, probably lower than 10%. But if we have like a splurge of carbohydrates, that will kick us out of ketosis, correct? That you. Yeah, that does happen. What uh, you found sort of what we find experimentally, though, is if you periodically go in and out of ketosis, that may be ideal. And it may not be sort of natural to stay in a state of ketosis all the time. I tend to be in ketosis more often than I am not just because I feel uh, a lot of the benefits from it from an energy standpoint. Uh, and I just feel better being in a state of ketosis. But if I go out of ketosis, for example, uh, if I to overeat vegetables or fruit or just uh, if I'm traveling somewhere and want to enjoy the cuisine of a country you know, that has you know, more carbohydrates than I normally consume, uh, since I've been in, since my body is used to being in ketosis, I can rapidly get into it the next day, especially if I do a day of intermittent fasting and, you know, don't eat my first meal until two or three in the afternoon. I'm strongly in ketosis again. And that was not so much the case if I did intermittent fasting following a high carbohydrate diet because the glycogen stores in the liver will be sort of topped off to the point where I'll still be pulling glycogen off the the, the liver stores throughout the day, and it really takes some time for you to transition into ketosis. Uh, what I like to say is that the more you follow the ketogenic diet, the easier it gets, and, and the more benefits you derive uh, from it, and, the, and it's just easier to transition in and out of it. Well, I... It's, it's always been a challenge for me because, I mean, the old way of thinking was that you have to be uh, on a diet where you don't have a lot of carbs and, you know, about three days and then you start to go into ketosis. And if you look at a donut the wrong way, you've ruined it. So, but you're talking yeah. at this now we can jump start and get into ketosis and go in and out. I mean, like you mentioned fasting, but I know Dave Asprey's mentioned like some of his MCT oil and high octane oils that can get you into fasting and out. And yeah. I think Dr. Longo is experimenting with some things too. So tell us about some of these shortcuts that we can jump into uh, 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 ketosis and then maybe have some ice, have some donuts on another day. Not that I recommend donuts, uh, gluten, no, no, no. Of course, a gluten-free donut. So tell us about some of the way we can jump into this. 
Yeah, well, there are kind of uh, interesting food products coming out on the market. Just so you're on the topic of donuts, you know, I am uh, <laughs> testing several things now, a, a ketogenic cookie, uh, a keto, uh, ketogenic brownie is something that I've, uh, keto cups, which are like, uh, you know, a, uh, a Reese's peanut butter cup, but they are ketogenic and that they legitimately have the ketogenic macros and they taste very good. Uh, I have these on my ketonutrition.org website and everything I have on there was sort of tested in the lab, you know, with blood testing to ensure that they're ketogenic. Uh, so there are some shortcuts like Dave Asprey's uh, bulletproof uh, diet and the, the oils that he used in that diet are medium chain triglyceride oils, specifically the C8 or caprylic triglyceride, uh, which he sells as brain octane, I believe. And you can get that from yes. a number of sources. And uh, it's an interesting ketogenic fat because you can incorporate it into things like uh, you can put it into your coffee or you can make salad dressing out of it. And you can even, you know, use it in various foods, uh, incorporate it into the food itself. And when the oil is, when these medium chain triglyceride oils are ingested, instead of being packaged into chylomicrons and, and transported into the lymphatic system, which happens with long chain fats, they are transported very rapidly uh, through the hepatic portal circulation right to your liver. And so you have the fat is being transported very rapidly to your liver, and your liver can burn this fat almost like a sugar, like very fast. And it, it, uh, you have accelerated fat oxidation in the liver with these medium-chain triglycerides, and that ends up producing a lot of ketones just by stimulating uh, the fat-burning effect in the liver. And so we say that these, these fats, uh, these medium-chain triglycerides, uh, are very ketogenic. And you can elevate your ketone levels up to about one millimolar, uh, which is, you know, if you're following the diet without medium-chain triglycerides, you would say that's clinically in a state of ketosis. So it is a way, you know, you could use the term biohacking. Uh, it is a way to transition your body into a state of nutritional ketosis without necessarily following the ketogenic diet. And I like to kind of do both. Like I find I follow a very loose form of the diet, uh, a modified uh, ketogenic diet, and I incorporate these medium uh, chain fats into my diet. And if you look at my ketone levels, it looks like I'm following a strict ketogenic diet, but it's a very sort of a, a loose modified form of the diet. Uh, with a lot more vegetables and typically even some fruits that would typically kick me out of ketosis, but I can stay into it, uh, ketosis, uh, much easier with incorporating these medium chain fats. And now there's also exogenous uh, ketone supplements on the market that even work, uh, you know, even, are even more potent in putting you into a state of nutritional ketosis. And it's, it's especially helpful for people transitioning from a carbohydrate-based diet to low-carb or even a ketogenic diet is that if your brain may be going through a process of glucose withdrawal, especially if you're eating a lot of carbohydrates, transitioning to low-carb diet, uh, your brain is starved of glucose and you may have a headache, you may have some brain fog. And a ketone supplement or just simply medium-chain triglyceride, something like a brain octane product, can really help people a lot and really keep you kind of energized and cognitively uh, with it, you know, through the transition period. 
This is very exciting because the past lore on ketogenic diets is it takes three days before you even get there. But now there are shortcuts with the MCT, the medium chain triglyceride oils or brain octane oils from Bulletproof that we that can kind of kick us in there for a while. Uh, and that's good news for people like me that are easily seduced by donuts. But also <clears throat> I've noticed that I, mean, I found some recipes, you know, like to make uh, bread that's got almond flour and coconut flour and some nut butters. And the almond flour and the nut butter have, you know, very low glycemic index. So you can almost eat this with impunity. So and it sounds like you're testing various snacks and making a lot more available to those of us that are kind of weak in our temptation yeah it's a fun area of research actually being able to test these products that are coming on the market i would uh, say about 80 percent of them don't pass the the blood test uh but some of them do you know and i like to kind of you know give attention to these uh products because they really help a lot of people are afraid to uh get into a follow-up ketogenic diet because they think they can't you know eat some of these uh snack foods that they really have to uh, avoid certain types of foods that taste great, uh, comfort foods, I call them. But now as, you know, food science is evolving, you, they are using natural ingredients and replacing. It's not a matter of creating some weird synthetic food, but simply re- replacing, you know, wheat flour with uh, a hazelnut flour or an almond flour uh, and using coconut flour, for example, instead of some of the the commonly used things, and these are gluten-free, very low-carb, and, and keto-friendly, and they can be formulated in a way that fits very nicely into uh, a low-carb ketogenic lifestyle. That is so exciting. What about dark chocolate if it's over 70% chocolate? Does that kick you out of ketosis if just a little bit? You know, I have dark cho- so I have dark chocolate that is stevia-sweetened, and it's also made with a little bit of coconut, and you can you can find them if you you know search around uh, on Amazon, and, and you can find some links to that. Maybe I'll, I'll post a link uh, to that later if, for your listeners on on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, but there are a number of products emerging that you know that are chocolate products that allow you to follow it. Uh, Keto Mania, I think, is the was just sent to me this week, so I'm testing that, and it appears yesterday I had a, a chocolate bar with it and uh, it's almost like a keto fudge and I would mm. I hit pretty high ketones all day but I really favor like Lind chocolate like the legit chocolate and they're really? high chocolate like the 80% like 70 and above I have a little block of it every night and I'll tell you my ketones even before when I go to bed even though I have a little square of it uh, one or two squares every night uh, if I keep my carbs especially low throughout the day and eat that at night, I still stay in it. It doesn't kick me out of ketosis. <laughs> and even the next morning, I'm in ketosis. So it's really all about uh, the quantity of things. If you eat an entire bar of Lynn chocolate, like a big one, it'll definitely kick you, most people, out of ketosis, unless you're like a cyclist, unless your your energy output is very, very high. But generally speaking, I like to indulge in these foods, and it's just a matter of quantity relative uh, and, and sticking to the overall ketogenic macronutrient ratios over the course of the day. So ketosis is a very healthy state, and we'll discuss its benefits in a little bit. But is ketosis different for men and for women? Uh, you know, we're 
we're studying that, and it's kind of interesting from our perspective. Uh, traditionally, when you do, you know, basic science research on animal models, you typically use uh, males because they don't have the estrus cycle, and, and that can eliminate variability in your experimental results. But now we're going back and we're doing an equal amount of male and female, you know, animals when we, when we do our studies. And anecdotally, it hasn't been firmly studied and established the difference, but I would say that females typically have a more varied response to nutritional ketosis, and especially with the initiation of nutritional ketosis, uh, the, the female physiology tends to have a reactive response to hypoglycemia, which may occur during the initiation of the ketogenic diet or carbohydrate restriction. And the reactive hypoglycemia can create uh, a dizziness, uh, some orthostatic hypotension is kind of uh, a complaint. So you want to make sure you get lots of fluids in and even ex- even a little extra sodium the first week or two. Uh, liberally salt your food, your, your salads, your vegetables especially. And, uh, and some people claim that there's hormonal changes associated, but I haven't seen that firmly studied. Uh, at least in women that are that are not calorie restricting. So often you get in a situation that a ketogenic diet is started by a woman using it to lose weight. So they're fasting and they're calorie restricting on top of using the ketogenic diet. And that will tend uh, in, in and of itself, the calorie restriction to lower uh, active thyroid levels, uh, T3 levels. So you kind of see that and it's more of a calorie restriction effect. Uh, so these are some of the things that have been kind of sort of chatted about but have not been firmly studied yet. Generally speaking, males and females can transition into ketogenic diet, but females have a more difficult time doing it <laughs> because there's a little more variability and their systems are a little more reactive to this metabolic stress. That it really is a stress in the beginning, especially if your body is fully adapted to using sugar and carbohydrate for fuel. Okay, so let's talk about some of the benefits of ketosis. Um, does it extend life? Uh, what are some of the health benefits? Yeah, there are many uh, health benefits. Some of them are proven and some of them are emerging. And we kind of study both in our lab. I would say weight loss and type 2 diabetes are sort of the proven applications that uh, the science over the last five years has really kind of solidified this. I would say much of the work uh, being spearheaded by Verda Health, uh, which is really tackling type 2 diabetes with nutrition, is laying the groundwork uh, for the use of nutritional ketosis as a legitimate medical approach to managing type uh, 2 diabetes. And we know uh, things like non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which is almost ubiquitous in in the population. And, you know, it's a big mystery. Why do people have fatty liver? I mean, could it be the the toxins in the environment? Uh, The high fructose corn syrup has been to blame. We know that when uh, even the, the the medical doctors here at University of South Florida uh, approached me and they said, uh, you know, are you aware that this low-carb ketogenic diet is really a cure for non-alcoholic fatty liver disease? And these were the radiologists that actually imaged the liver uh, before and after implementing this. And, and they've used 
many other approaches like, you know, metformin and other drugs, and they didn't work as nearly as well as carbohydrate restriction. Uh, so these are relatively proven things. There's metabolic uh, diseases like glucose transporter deficiency, Lennox-Gastaut, Dravet, uh, and various forms of epilepsy. In many cases, the etiology of epilepsy is largely unknown. And what's interesting is that the ketogenic diet works on pretty much, seems like, every type of seizure independent of the etiology of that seizure. And that's kind of drew me uh, to the ketogenic diet early in my career because the seizures that I studied were a result of high-pressure oxygen uh, as a result of sort of an apparatus used, uh, equipment used for our special operation community, the Navy SEALs, use a closed-circuit rebreather. And in, in some situations, they may have to dive deep with this and they could experience what's known as oxygen toxicity seizures. It's a grand mal tonic-clonic seizure. So I explored the use of nutritional ketosis for that very specific application. And when it worked better than any anticonvulsant drug that was ever tested, it sort of uh, solidified my belief in nutrition as uh, as a very valid medical therapy. You know, it took actually some convincing for that to happen. But when I, you know, we were studying this for quite some while and we never saw anything that had such a neuroprotective effect as this nutritional approach. And now, I mean, that was, you know, almost 10 years ago. And now researchers have demonstrated the ketogenic diet can extend longevity in animal models. Uh, this just came out, published in the journal, you know, Cell Metabolism. And they also demonstrated that an intermittent ketogenic diet, one week eating ketogenic diet, uh, one week off the diet, one week on the diet, and staggering it in that way, significantly delayed the onset of, of chronic, uh, age-related chronic illnesses and actually enhanced uh, cognition and, and also suppressed the formation of spontaneous tumors that, you know, uh, inevitably occur in us and, and in animal models as we age. Uh, polycystic ovary syndrome is something the ketogenic diet has been used for. Acne, you know, these are sort of linked to inflammation. So there's kind of a theme here. The ketogenic diet has been shown strongly to have an anti-inflammatory effect. Uh, our uh, collaborators at Yale University we formulated a, uh, a ketone diet for them, and they demonstrated that it suppressed the NLRP3 inflammasome. And when that inflammasome is activated, that elevates many of the inflammatory cytokines linked with age-related chronic uh, illnesses. Also, autoimmune illnesses are also associated with this inflammasome. So the ketogenic diet may be an effective approach to uh, reduce and suppress inflammation associated with these. And I can tell you from my own blood work that my uh, HSC reactive protein, which I think is a good marker for overall systemic inflammation, uh, went down significantly and was even non-detectable in the last couple times I measured it. So, and I think that's clearly an indication of being in a state of nutritional ketosis. Is some of the most important biomarkers that you see uh, are the suppression of inflammation. 
Well, as many speakers have mentioned, inflammation as well as oxidative stress can kind of lead, cause, interact with just about any chronic disease we come up with. I mean, inflammation has been uh, seen as the heart of a cause of cardiovascular disease, depression, and many things that were Previously, folks were just looking different directions to find some kind of link. Yeah. So yeah. I hear you saying that it helps a lot in neurodegeneration uh, diseases and cancer. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. Um, so that's a big part of what we do. Uh, the first study, I think, that we sort of had funded uh, was with the Alzheimer's Association, and it was to examine the effects of nutritional ketosis in a mouse model of Alzheimer's disease. Now, these mouse models are not very, really very good uh, models of these diseases, and they overproduce the, the amyloid and tau plaques. But uh, the particular model that we chose, we implemented the ketogenic diet sort of later in life after the disease has taken hold and there was significant brain atrophy. And uh, it had an effect, it trended to stabilize the disease, even if done, even if implemented, you know, after the brain atrophy. Uh, and there was a, the, the data that jumped out showed that there was a really significant increase in the motor function. And, and that was followed up uh, shortly after that. The National Institutes of Health published a study uh, on a ketone ester. And they showed when uh, the ketone ester was actually used uh, earlier on in the, in the animal model, in an aggressive animal model of Alzheimer's, it delayed the accumulation of these uh, amyloid and tau plaques and actually increased the cognitive function and the motor function. Uh, so they kind of did a little bit better study. Uh, and now w- we have uh, demonstrated clearly the neuroprotective effects of these ketones. And ideally, you want to use them before the disease process starts. Uh, but they can also be used to symptomatically control the symptoms of the disease process. Uh, I think Angelman syndrome is a good example. It's a, there's a defect in what you would call the house cleaning gene, if you will. And, and with children who have Angelman syndrome, they have an impairment of motor function and they frequently get seizures. And it was observed in a number of case reports that the ketogenic diet largely was a cure for many of the symptoms of Angelman syndrome, especially the seizures. And the mouse model of Angelman syndrome is actually a very good model, and it worked remarkably well, even at a low dose. About 10% of the calories coming from a a ketone supplement tended to work uh, very well uh, in managing the symptoms of Angelman syndrome and also enhancing the cognitive function. So the Angelman Syndrome Foundation actually wanted to redirect funds away from uh, a drug therapy more to a, a nutritional uh, nutritional ketosis therapy. So we are working very actively with them uh, to actually do a clinical trial uh, on the use of a ketone supplement and moving it into humans and moving it into children who have Angelman syndrome. So that's one of the projects uh, that we're working on. Uh, another is cancer. So we are actively working with the Moffitt Cancer Institute here because uh, and it took a while for this to take effect that the National Cancer Institute and the National Institutes of Health have recognized that cancer uh, is associated with uh, elevated glucose consumption and, and also what we call the Warburg effect. So it is uh, essentially elevated glucose consumption 
and fermentation of the cancer in that it's pumping out lots of lactate due to, uh, most likely due to damaged mitochondria and a dysregulation of the energy sense systems that are fundamental uh, to the cell. And we know that we can target cancer metabolism with a ketogenic diet uh, by simply reducing glucose availability to the tumor, which the ketogenic diet does. Uh, it elevates ketones as an energy source for the body and for the brain. And most cancer cells are deficient in ketolytic enzymes. Uh, succinyl-CoA transferase is an example that, uh, of an enzyme that's deficient in most cancer cells. And I had mentioned that the liver produces ketones but is deficient in an enzyme, the same enzyme, that, uh, that deficiency in the enzyme prevents the liver from using the very ketones that it's producing. So it sort of spares the ketones uh, for the brain. And, uh, and the ketogenic diet also, probably most importantly, it suppresses the hormone insulin and also IGF-1 are significantly impressed, uh, suppressed with the ketogenic diet. And we know that insulin and IGF-1 are really drivers for cancer growth and proliferation, especially once it's started in the body, once a tumor has formed and it's rapidly proliferating. So suppressing, uh, suppressing uh, IGF-1, insulin, the mTOR pathway, for example, all suppressed uh, with the ketogenic diet. So at the very least, the ketogenic diet takes the foot off the gas pedal of cancer growth and proliferation and, and functions to further enhance and augment other therapeutic modalities that are used in cancer. So now, uh, this is largely recognized when I first got into this field of research. There were no registered clinical ketogenic diet trials. Now you have at least a dozen on clinicaltrials.gov that this are is actually kind of government registered trials. Yes, it's very exciting. This is kind of exciting. So like if somebody is going toward Alzheimer's disease, you might not be able to reverse it, but you can certainly slow the progression and maybe help with a little bit of cognitive tuning and brightening up. And so Absolutely. likewise yep. with other uh, neuro diseases, which as we get older, we're all going to be concerned about, right? Yeah. Yep. It's, it is inevitable. I mean, we have, you know, a decrease in our cognitive sort of capacity over time, and that could be due to a neurometabolic effect, uh, which I know, you know, in talking with uh, Dr. Bredesen, you know, he believes that about a third, maybe up to half of, of Alzheimer's, you know, etiology is really linked to a neurometabolic impairment, you know, and then, yes, then you have does. Alzheimer's is really classified by the accumulation of these amyloid plaques. That's what actually classifies, uh, usually after someone dies, uh, new imaging technologies are emerging, but that's how you classify Alzheimer's disease. And it's our belief that neuroinflammation uh, is really the trigger for the accumulation of these toxic plaques. And also, as brain energy metabolism is impaired, that uh, processing and breaking down these plaques is a very energy-dependent process. And if the brain has impaired uh, blood flow and, and, and energy status, then it's more likely to accumulate these toxic plaques, especially in the presence of, of something that's creating neuroinflammation. So you have multiple sort of a multifactorial effect going on here. You have uh, yeah, Dr. Chronic- Bredesen also 
uh, has a, a one classification of Alzheimer's as toxic. And with all the yeah. toxins in our environment and with leaky guts, our brain blood brain barrier, which is supposed to protect our brain from all the bad influences, gets leaky. EMF and glyphosate are supposed to open the blood brain barrier. So we just kind of a, a sitting duck for setting up mm-hmm. the microglia and the neuroinflammation leading to all sorts of cognitive problems. So I think this is going to increase in the future. So it sounds like the ketogenic diet is one thing we can do to help protect us. That's an accurate, uh, yeah, description right there. And I think, you know, we study uh, through our work with the Office of Navy Research and even NASA, enhancing brain optimization and health in extreme environments. And and our, our, you know, current environment is really... Uh, an extreme environment because we are bombarded with all these toxins and uh, and our lifestyle too. On top of that, the stress of our lifestyle kind of challenges the brain. Uh, there may be various viruses that we know that uh, HIV virus and maybe even herpes simplex virus, when it's activated and there's viral shedding, it's creating neuroinflammation. And uh, and I've had a number of people contact me with those uh, diseases and even things like shingles. When they get uh, an outbreak, they they immediately start fasting, and it basically prevents that outbreak from really taking hold uh, for them. For example, even getting. Uh, uh, the shingles outbreak that they would typically get. They initiate it. I guess there's some signs that occur right in the beginning and they immediately do like a, a water only fast until it goes away. So, uh, and that's, that's using not the ketogenic diet, but I would say uh, ketogenic or therapeutic fasting, which puts you into the state of fasting ketosis and sharply lowers these inflammatory events that can promote viral shedding. So I, I, it's very interesting, and I've, I've, you know, it's not an area that I uh, formally study, but I get so many emails about people describing their uh, the therapeutic effects of the ketogenic diet or fasting, and they're sending me blood work and their medical reports. So there's something there, and I was recently traveling in Southeast Asia where I picked up uh, what I would call bacterial. Uh, you know, gut bug. <laughs> so, uh, bacterial, you know, gastroenteritis, I guess. And it, it really, I could tell that it, it really damaged my stomach lining and it only uh, affected me for two or three days. And I started fasting during it when I, when I picked up the bug. I probably ate, we traveled all in many areas and ate different food. And I did, uh, is on the third day when I was getting better, I measured my C-reactive protein, which is always like 0.1, maybe 0.2, and it went up to 5.6, which is way higher than it's ever been. And it's still, you know, I've seen cancer patients, when they take chemo, it's up to like 200, you know, because that really destroys the gut lining. But it was a very, uh, I validated sort of in myself that when you, when you damage the gut lining, in this case, it was some bacteria I picked up in a, in a food, probably that really uh, hits your immune system pretty hard and causes systemic inflammation. And I did get a mild headache, too, when that happened. Uh, so your gut, it's something that we're really intensely studying right now. We have an IRB going through to look at the gut microbiome in the NASA uh, NEMO 23 project. And we did it for the, the NASA NEMO 22 project and to actually look at how these extreme environments impact the gut microbiome because our overall physiological health and our brain health 
are tightly linked to our gut health. And, Absolutely. And now, that's Absolutely. Now. Yeah. And I think this is very important because all of our environments are becoming very extreme and toxic laden. Now, also, obviously, with cancer, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, people say that cancer cells love glutamine and they love sugar. So it sounds like making sense, depriving the uh, cancer cells of sugar uh, sounds like a way to help with uh, cancer. Apparently, yeah. cancer cells have got an ample source of glutathione, so we've got to do something to outsmart them. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, by limiting glucose availability to the uh, the cancer cells, that actually there's something called the pentose phosphate pathway, and it helps reduce the activity of that path pathway that's associated with making uh, replenishing glutathione. So, simply by in cancer cells, because that's upregulated. So by limiting glucose availability to the tumor cells, you are impairing their endogenous antioxidant capacity. So that really helps uh, by knocking down their antioxidant capacity. And if you were to, for example, hit them with hyperbaric oxygen therapy, which is something that we study in the lab, that can actually uh, selectively enhance oxidative stress in the cancer cells, and we find that the combination of nutritional ketosis when implemented properly with hyperbaric oxygen therapy delivered three times per week at uh, about 2 to 2.5 atmospheres of oxygen for about 60 60, uh, minutes uh, is a very effective approach for uh, targeting uh, cancer metabolism. So you you hit the metabolism and increase the oxidative stress. And, you know, radiation, that's how it kills cancer, right? Yeah, it right, increases right. oxidative stress, but you get all this right. collateral damage. Whereas with hyperbaric oxygen therapy, the ketogenic diet sets up a great scenario where you're crippling the, the cancer's antioxidant capacity and then hitting it with uh, reversing tumor hypoxia and saturating the tumor with high-pressure oxygen. And then the tumor's overproduce oxygen-free radicals because they're adapted to a low oxygen environment. So when they see all this oxygen, they overproduce superoxide anion and then hydroxyl radical because there's a lot of the heme in the actual tumor. And that drives something called the fentanyl reaction. And that really, it becomes a massive oxidative stress, uh, specifically to the cancer cells. So that, that's an area, an avenue that we're very deeply invested in and putting a lot of time and effort in studying to, to package that, you know, to move that preclinical animal model work into uh, human clinical trials. That is exciting. Another argument for the uh, metabolic contribution to cancer is that metformin has been shown to uh, reduce the chances of getting pancreatic cancer. So it obviously yeah. it's mimicking pathways of fasting and gene transcription and causing mitochondrial stress and et cetera. And so that's kind of exciting. Yeah. Yes, that's right. And, and we actually have uh, several projects with metformin. Uh, one of my PhD students actually did his entire PhD dissertation on metformin. So that's, that's one aspect of a more comprehensive metabolic uh, therapy that we're working on is, is using metformin with the ketogenic diet and hyperbaric oxygen. So I understand it can help an autoimmune disease. Is the process for that is because it helps heal the gut, and you know which is obviously where a lot of these autoimmune diseases might be triggered. Yeah, we do think it's it's 
part of that. You know, people go on a ketogenic diet and many of them, some of them battling these autoimmune disorders and uh, they recover from it or they do much better. So the ketogenic diet, it's important to recognize it is to some extent an elimination diet. So when you go on it, you're not eating wheat, you're not eating maybe some of these things that, uh, that challenge the immune system. Uh, and we do know from the perspective of the cancer patient that this is work that my colleague, Dr. Adrian Sheck at the Barrow Neurological Institute, she demonstrated uh, in a very elegant study that it enhanced uh, tumor-associated immunity. Now, now, what that means, we know that uh, a, a failure of the immune system is a hallmark of cancer. So the ketogenic diet made the immune system more vigilant to precancerous cells and cancer cells that were in the body. So it, it, it coaxed the immune system into recognizing surface markers that are, that are found on normal cells that have transferred, transformed into cancer cells. It helps the immune system recognize those precancer cells and cancer cells and help destroy them. So I think that's really exciting research that is starting to emerge now. So how nutritional ketosis, and, and that could simply be, by, you know, we know that our, when our immune systems are challenged, for example, by a virus or by some kind of something we're eating in our diet, if our immune system is working overtime to deal with that thing, it's less likely to recognize cancer that's forming in our body. You know, when we're under lots of stress and stuff, it actually makes us susceptible to cancer because our immune system is just not working properly. Wow. So the ketogenic diet may be decreasing sort of uh, the burden of these factors that are activating our immune system and really amping up the immune system in a way to recognize, to help it recognize cancer and precancerous cells in our body to help So how do we measure ketones? Them. How do we measure ketones? Blood, urine, blow sticks, whatever. Yeah. How do we measure yeah. our ketone levels? Well, uh, the easiest, the gold standard way is to use a blood ketone meter. And they're a little bit pricey. Abbott Labs makes the precision extra. Now, there's a new device that came out. Uh, we recently tested it in the lab. It's called the Keto Mojo, <laughs> K-E-T-O Mojo. And, uh, and instead of, you know, $5 a, a strip, it's just a dollar a strip to do a blood assay. And that's a pretty good deal. I, actually, I have it. It's on the Keto Nutrition uh, website. Uh, and I think there's like a discount code there. You can get it. Uh, so we have sort of tested that against the more expensive Abbott uh, Precision Extra Meter. You know, we use both of them. We continue to use both of them in the lab. But the savings that we get from using the Keto Mojo is definitely, uh, you know, I want to I validate it for an entire year and just get thousands of measurements and, and compare the two. We're actually going to write a paper about this, comparing it to. And I think if people can switch from the Abbott, who really has the market on this meter, to the Keto Mojo, I think they could save a lot of money and be able to more, better you know, monitor their ketone levels. And if you don't want to spend the money just on a, a blood meter, you can use like uh, the keto sticks that you can buy at any CVS or Walgreens. You know, it's like maybe 20 cents per strip, a pea strip. And that'll tell you whether, at least whether it's a relative, you know, setting. It tells you whether you're in ketosis or not in ketosis. And once you're in ketosis, then it would be useful maybe once, maybe twice a week to monitor your ketones with the blood meter. 
And then once you realize like what foods allow you to stay in ketosis and how to adjust your meals, then you don't have to monitor anymore. Like I tend to do it because we're always testing things. I'm testing things on myself. But, uh, but most people, once they follow the diet and do some initial testing over, you know, two or three weeks, maybe a month or so, then they have a firm idea of how to stay in ketosis and they don't have to measure. Maybe they can measure once a week if they want to. Now, what is the downside of ketosis? I understand our LDLs can go up, our APOB associated with fat transport might go up, we might transport Mm -hmm. more fat, while the CRP, uh, inflammation measures, homocysteine might go down, might increase the sexual uh, hormone binding. So what are the, we've got four minutes left just so you can gauge, tell us some of the disadvantages and then you can slip into a summary and be sure to Mm -hmm. measure your web, mention your website, ketonutrition.org, where our listeners can get a lot more information, find out about his test, and find about, out about the Keto Mojo. Yeah, sure. Uh, so the downsides, as you mentioned, so the one in the clinical literature, uh, the thing that comes up is kidney stones. So early studies in children showed that, especially if they were not hydrated and they followed a strict ketogenic diet, they were like more than twice as likely to get kidney stones, which can, can be kind of scary. And then they followed up with studies and supplemented with potassium citrate, and then the kidney stones were a non-issue. Uh, and now that's with the classical ketogenic diet. With a low-carb diet, we don't, we don't really see that. But my take-home message is it might be good to supplement with uh, mineral supplementation like potassium or magnesium can help you know, prevent the possibility, uh, and also, of course, staying hydrated. So that's one that you know, you'll find in the literature side effect. You know, some people claim that it makes them constipated. I get the opposite approach, you know, especially if we're using coconut oil and MCT. So that's a non-issue for me. Uh, so the big thing also that might come up is LDL uh, cholesterol. I personally think LD, elevated LDL is a good thing. Our brain and our bodies are made of cholesterol. It's very important for growth and repair. Uh, It's very important for our brain to keep LDL. When we're following a ketogenic diet, our body is adapting to using fat and ketones for fuel. LDL not only travels, you know, transports cholesterol, it transports triglycerides and phospholipids, which you need greater fat transport if you are eating and metabolizing fat. You simply need well, more little transport. Well, isn't it the size and the number of the very small LDL particles that's the risk factors? Because if we've got big fluffy LDL, we don't have as much of a problem. Yep, yep. So, uh so I'm glad you pointed that out because that's very important. So the uh, the size of the LDL molecule, there's an elevation of LDL, but it's the larger, more buoyant molecule that's typically associated with, you know, transporting uh, transporting these triglycerides around and getting them to the tissues so they can be burned as fuel. So uh, whereas the less uh, the more atherogenic, smaller LDL particles tend not to stay the same. They stay the same or they don't uh, elevate as much. And some people, they may, and I think it's important to track that. But if every other biomarker is going in the right direction, you know, we always see, like, you know, blood pressure goes down, inflammation goes down, uh, HDL stays the same or goes up, which is a good thing. And yeah, You have one minute left, so I just wanted to remind you in case you've got yep. any closing points. 
Uh, no, I think I see the ketogenic diet, nutritional ketosis, as simply a tool in the toolbox. And it does not have to be used continuously, but it's a very powerful tool that can really enhance your metabolic health. And it could be used, uh, people need to experiment with it, and they need to read and learn as much as possible. And my website, ketonutrition.org, I think is a very good resource. That and uh, with this note, I advise the listener to go to ketonutrition.org, learn about uh, Dr. D'Agostino's research, learn about what he's found about various foods and the keto mojo. Do your research, uh, consult with your uh, physician, clinician, naturopath, and uh, learn so you can share this, learn for yourself and share with others. And above all, be well. We Thank you for listening. Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Here's to better health for you this week. We